Hello, creative people. Welcome to Creative Conversations. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend your time with us. I am owner and founder of I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, and I am on a mission to expand the definition of creativity beyond a pencil and a paintbrush and to empower people, especially adults, to own their voices and talents that come in so many different forms. This space was created to talk to people with all different kinds of jobs, hobbies and interests, and to have conversations about experiences and perspectives all centered around three questions. How do you define creativity? How do you incorporate it into your life? And why do you think it's important? Then we have a free-flowing conversation and we see where it goes. So I have had the opportunity to speak to so many. I've spoken to musicians, comedians, doctor, lawyer, wrestlers, Reiki masters, and entrepreneurs as young as 13. And these conversations explore the reality that creativity is not cute, it is necessary. People have defined creativity as that magic spark, how we show up in our life, imagination, basically all that we are and want to be, do, or have. So I believe from my heart that sharing these stories gives one the ability to expand their thinking, open themselves up for more self-expression, to feel more empowered, connected, and dare I say, happy. So my inspiring guest for today is Nancy Boss. She is a vocologist, author of multiple best-selling books, professional singer, speaker, and thought leader. She has taught singing and voice for over 20 years and is the founder of Studio Boss Media, a company that helps people tap into the magic of voice. Nancy's mission is to inspire people to find the freedom to express their voice, that part of who they are that all connects us all. Nancy, welcome to the space. I am here. You are here, and I am so, so glad you are here. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) Important to remember that. Celebrate the little things. It's Friday. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So that littlest bit that I read about you, could Mm -hmm. you please tell us what, how, whatever you want to share before we do a deeper dive. Um, tell us a little bit more about who you are, please. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was a singing teacher and a performer for 25 years, uh, working one-on-one with singers. And as a performer myself, um, the little secret that I kept was that I had serious performance anxiety. Um, and that was one of the reasons I became a voice teacher. And, and darn it, if it didn't bug the heck out of me, that I was the voice teacher who taught because she couldn't do. And I really had to tackle that performance anxiety in order to, to be comfortable in my own skin. So uh, at age 34, I went head on with the performance anxiety, um, tried lots of different tactics, and it worked. And uh, then I got to become the the performer and the singer that I really wanted to be and really understood my students so much better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you pointed that, first of all, admitting when you realize that uh, you're teaching because you're not doing. Yeah. And then when you did, you're like, I'm facing it. We're doing this. And then you could relate better. It's so, so true. Very important point. Wow. Yeah. Thank you very much. The, the thing that I really um, took away, though, w- was that the music that I was being taught to sing in college um, was somebody else's words, 
and somebody else's notes. Uh, my teachers were telling me how to interpret this, you know, what to do. And that, that really wasn't empowering to me at all because I was just like, okay, if I follow all these rules and do this, then, then this is the product and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, when I finally realized that it really has to be my story that I'm telling, that it has to be um, something that's coming from my heart and soul that is meaningful and powerful to me, or at least I can, if I'm playing a character in a musical, I have to be able to relate to that character. Or if I'm singing a song that maybe it's part of my past, and honestly, the older I get, the more experiences I have, the easier it is to sing more and more songs um, because I can, like, yeah, that is part of my story, and I can tell that story. Mm two things that just caught my attention already and I can't wait to do a deeper dive into. <laughs> you said follow rules mm -hmm. and then what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. That just kind of jumped out and yeah. 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 Especially from the angle of creative, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, it, I could have just as well been uh, learning bel canto classical singing in college is um, breathe here, phrase it this way, sing the, the dynamics this way, here's your language, no, here's how you pronounce that vowel in um, Italian. And and it's it's I could have just as well been an accountant. I mean, it was just these this are the rules that you have to follow and then the product will be complete and done. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's not that's not creativity. That's not creativity. So I guess while we're here, actually, because I don't want to lose this thought, do you believe, though, that there needs to be structure because there are basics that need to be learned and then you can go off on your own? Well, it doesn't hurt to, to have structure. Yeah, I, I, yeah, uh, having boundaries. Hmm. Do you need it? That, that's the word that I'm hanging up on. Um, yeah. Kind of like these are the notes. This is... Um, this is how they sound. This is how learn how to do it in this way. And then from that point, have creative freedom. So I've, I've interviewed many mu musicians on, on my Every Sing podcast, and most working singers have not had voice lessons. Ooh. Most mu working singers, um, in, in, especially in rock and folk, have never taken a music theory class. Um, there was one musician that I was hired to assist because he's a, he was a fairly famous um, uh, rock singer from the 90s, and he was hired by a movie to do the score. And he composed the score um, without knowing how to read music himself. But the music had to be on paper for the musicians to then play the score. Wow. So, yeah, so they hired me to transcribe because his rhythms were so out of sync with, with a typical beat that the software couldn't really figure out what he was doing. So, so they hired me to transcribe and put on all the fermatas and stuff. And uh, there's so many incredibly successful musicians that do not have a foundation in an education for music. When it comes to opera singing, yeah, maybe, unless you're completely entrenched in that your whole life. You know, say you grow up in Sicily around opera singers all the time, then you could probably just pick it up and run. Um, but for somebody like me who, who was raised in a different genre, I did have to learn the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how do we pick up the art? If you're if you're um, a child of artists and you're surrounded by art all the time, do you ever need to take an art class? Maybe not. Um, yeah. Mm. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, that is really it's a very interesting point to say that most have not taken 
a music lesson. And I love that when <laughs> this guy was so out of the box and just came up with these, you know, uh, th this whole part portion, but mm -hmm. you needed to translate it because <laughs> he didn't know how to do it in the formalized way. So they exactly. were like, okay, let's, let's hire somebody who does know how to do that. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And the tremendous amount of creative freedom that he had. I wonder how many um, film score composers, I'm t sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but how many of them are held back by following the rules? You know, um, it, it, he didn't know any rules. And so he could just put out an emotional product um, and, and have it be very moving. It was a, it was a very nice score. Yeah. Mm. Okay. This is going to be a great conversation. <laughs> Woo! This is just the beginning. So we're going to start with a would you rather question and then we're going to dive in. So Nancy, okay. are you ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> would you rather give up heating and air conditioning or internet? I'd rather give up internet. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with, with not being connected to the entire outside world, but <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, but yeah, in fact, how fun actually to, to step away and, and, but as long as, as I can, yeah, the heating and air conditioning. Hmm. I just moved to Albuquerque where it's, you know, it's 90 plus degrees already each day. I guess it is in a lot of the country right now. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to live without air conditioning here. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had a feeling that's where you're going to lean towards. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's here in New Jersey already. Yeah. It's so all over the place. But tomorrow's supposed to be 99 and then 97. Oh, I'm mm. like, what the heck? It's just May. This is so ick. Wow. But then it's going to go down to 70s, 60s, 80s. It's like bouncing all over the place. Um, yeah, it'll be yeah, perfect. This weekend is, it is what it is. So it is what it is. <laughs> so there we go. My daughter said, just go to the beach, mom. Go yeah. And to my friends in the Pacific Northwest where it's 65, just try to enjoy it. Try. I know it's hard, but try. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So Nancy, the official, official first question, first question is how do you define creativity? Yeah. I just, I love that question. And, and, uh, how I define creativity is probably closely linked to the word freedom that um creativity to me it, it ties into our first conversation of of being able to color outside the lines um to have the freedom to go with whatever it is that you feel like doing or being or voicing um without judgment and without restrictions and without the idea that you have to produce something. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how I define creativity uh, is it's almost meditative for me when I'm creative, it might be subconscious. Like I might find myself, you know, singing random crazy things that break all the rules and not even realize I was doing it. So I don't think it necessarily needs to involve the frontal cortex at all. Um, in fact, can I spin for a little while here? Of course. There was a, um, a neurological study that was done in an MRI machine on improvising musicians. Have you heard about this before? I haven't. Please share. All right. So they, they had, oh boy, it's been at least 10 years ago now that they did this, but they were looking at the musicians' brains while they were improvising. Um, now there is, 
there is a catch to this. The musician is laying down in an MRI machine. So there's got to be some awareness of the environment. One of them was a piano player, and they gave him this tiny little keyboard that he was laying down on his back, but he had this keyboard on his lap, right? And so that's awkward. Um, yes. <laughs> and another one's a musician, which is a singer. I'm sorry, a musician. Uh, another one's a singer who's, um, who's improvising. That's an easier one to pull off, but still you've got this clacking MRI machine around you. But what they did discover was that when they asked these people to sing something or sing or play something planned, then the frontal cortex was involved. But when they asked them to scat or improvise, then the frontal cortex was not involved. That the um, the reaction time had to be so fast in these um, scat singers is, is what I'm thinking about, that they couldn't take time to think about it. And when I taught scat singing to my students, they were often extremely uncomfortable because I'd say, you know, scat this part and they'd have to stop and think about how to scat. Um, and it, they would freeze, right? Because there isn't time. You don't have time to think about it in your frontal cortex. And so it has to be in your subconscious brain just coming out. Of course, the more you do it, there's two things that happen. You trust and you know the rules. And so there are rules with scat singing, like I'm not going to use this syllable. I'm not going to fla, 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 fla. You know, that's just not going to be in my scat singing. That totally works, right? And so you start to learn these rules around it. But uh, yeah, that kind of creative subconscious, I'm not even aware I'm doing this. What a great state to be in, kind of a flow state. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. That is just such interesting information because here we go with the actual science mm -hmm. and looking inside the body and looking how the body physically reacts. Yeah. While in the process, when you said MRI machine, I immediately tensed up because <laughs> the whole idea of being inside this enclosure. Yes. <laughs> immediately is like, whoo, there's all the this button. machinery. Yeah. yeah. There's the button where it's like, do you need to get out? It's like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but while there, because you're in head first here, but um, so, so interesting. And oh my God, do we give our bodies enough credit for everything that it oh, does? <laughs> that it does without us telling it to? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it's just amazing. All of this functions like our brain and the fact that we can talk to each other right now, that mm -hmm. these words are coming out of my mouth, that I'm listening to you mm -hmm. and forming these thoughts. And then it just comes out and we have a conversation that my hands are moving. Like, it's just, it's amazing. We are improvising all the time, right? But when you tell somebody to improvise, that changes, oh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's so true. Yeah. It brings the self-consciousness um, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the space. Mm -hmm. To be conscious of oneself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So why don't you give us a little bit more information I want to hear more about your story, about your journey to get to this point, wherever mm. you want to start with that. Yeah. Well, let's just jump back into the, the stage fright issue. Um, the, uh, the thing was that in college, I, I was a music major, but I became so incredibly nervous to sing in front of other people, which has to happen on a, on a weekly basis. Every Friday, you'd sing in front of your small class. And I knew that my junior year of college, I'd need to give a half hour recital in front of 100 people, most of whom I wouldn't know. And then my senior year, I'd have to give a 60 minute recital in front of another 100 or more people. And that was just a requirement of the major. I couldn't do it because 
I knew that I had such stage fright that I was not able to stand up in front of these people and do this. So what was the root of that stage fright? There were a couple of small traumatic things that happened around music in childhood. Most of us have small traumatic things that happen around our art. Like somebody says, you shouldn't do that or close your voice or, you know, you, uh, you sound stupid or whatever. Um, those little things, those little traumas, we cannot um, shove them aside as nothing. They can actually be the root of a problem that grows and grows and grows if we keep feeding back to ourselves the information that this is a problem. And that's that's what happened to me. Um, but on top of that, there was a, a, a an awareness that other people were judging me. And that came actually from me singing in church when I was a kid. I was given solos. And after the singing, after the church service, invariably people would come up and tell me I did a good job, which is a judgment. You know, would anybody come up and say, wow, you know, you could have done better or that was a bad job. No, but they always said a good job, but still they're putting judgment on me. Mm-hmm. What I wish they had said was, your singing really moved me or I got the message today because of the way you sang it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that a few times now as an adult, but never as a kid. So of course, anytime that I went up in front of an audience then, from then on, I knew I was being judged. Well, that kind of consciousness of self, self-consciousness of being judged is a frontal cortex thing. It holds us back from our creativity. It puts us in a place of concern at the lightest, fear at the greatest. Mm-hmm. And I think it kills the creativity. I've since you know, worked through that so that now I can be creative in front of anybody, anytime, anywhere, (laughs) but it took a lot of effort. You know what? I want to stop right there because what you're bringing up is so important. Um, This is something that may seem logical, but when we were in school for art education, you know, talking about stuff, one of the teachers said, which I kind of knew this already, but, but I was like, it just made me heightenedly aware, never tell somebody I love that. You know, mm-hmm. that's really, that's really pretty. Mm. That's really, you know, because then they're going to be like, Oh, well, they didn't say that the next time. Mm-hmm. And that, this whole thing that you're talking about. So the, the response, the answer to this is give a very specific, wow, I love that you use the color blue. That's a really, you know, that is a great shade of blue mm-hmm. or look at those lines that you used. It doesn't have to be this whole paragraph that you're saying but just look at it notice and then the kid or the adult will tell you the story behind it instead of you making up the story of what you think that they created wow yeah i totally see that rather than you making up the story okay huh so just like what you said here you wish someone came up to you and said wow that really moved me this is how it made me feel mm-hmm. as opposed to saying you were really good because then if they don't say it the next time, then you're like, Oh my God, they didn't like me. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. If you walk out of the, the church service or the performance and it's, it's crickets, then Holy cow, that's devastating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow. So this is so powerful. So here I want to ask you, and I know you have a lot more to say on this, but since you were so scared, mm-hmm. why did you put yourself in the situation? Oh, ooh, ooh, Hollis. 
<laughs> Dang. <laughs> All right, we'll go there. I don't think I've gone there before with 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 anybody else. Um, I was uh, in my mm, mid twenties. I had taken a job managing Lady Foot Locker stores. I was very good at it. Um, I opened I, I opened up a Lady Foot Locker casual store in Rapid City, South Dakota, and became the number one in the country. And I felt hollow. I was not doing music in any place in my life. I was a businesswoman. I was making money. I'd paid off my college debt. You know, I was paying off my husband's college debt. It was all great, but I was completely bored, unsatisfied, um, not interested in my life. And I got out of my car one day after work, and I had that lightning bolt moment where the word music was thrown into my head. You are music. And my response was, oh, yeah, and then tears out down my cheek. Like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. From that moment on, I've realized that there was no point in anything else. Everything else would seem pointless except for music. Why, I don't know. I have no idea why, why music is my muse. I don't know. Um, but uh, it, it was something I could not live without. Yeah, that's about all I can say. When you were a kid, was it something that you turned to uh, to for your happy space? Um, I, you know, as a kid, it was a discipline. I started taking piano lessons at four. I did sing all the time, though. And there was a rule in my house, which I understand other households have also had this rule, is that there's no singing at the dinner table. And I think I was just like, <laughs> kids, shut up for just 20 minutes. You know, I think that's what was going on. <laughs> you know, though, singing is... is um, primal. Uh, animals sing, dogs sing, whales sing, all kinds of animals sing. And so singing is more um, primal than, than language and speech, for sure. And it's, it's a way, like our physical gestures are also primal, it's, it's a way of communicating and, and interacting with the world that is just so foundational to not only being a human, but being a mammal, that um, it, I guess that part of my brain must have just been like screaming out for, use me, use me. But <laughs> I love that. No singing at the dinner table. Oh yeah, that's an everyday thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, was that that wasn't a rule at your house? No art at the dinner table, Hollis. Stop drawing with your peas. Ours <laughs> was my dad was um I'd be like, don't take my napkin. And that was that was our rule. <laughs> he would take Whoever's napkin was like near him, even if he had one, I was like, don't take my napkin. Stop with taking the napkin, Dad. <laughs> You're like, what? I'm like, you have a napkin. Gosh, you had to defend your stuff at the table. <laughs> Holy cow. Damn. <laughs> a little so, tea right there, a little trauma. <laughs> gosh. Okay. So, so we got hit with the uh, the lightning rod, the lightning bolt, whatever yes. you want to call it. Of Music, singing. singing. Yep, yep, Music. Yep. So but I we, couldn't sing. There? Yeah, I couldn't sing. I couldn't perform. I had the stage fright. I started, um, I, I became the interim choir director at a Lutheran church. Did that for six months. I was not good at it um, because I had very, very little training. But I got them through the season. They were grateful. And uh, and it felt great to be surrounded by harmonies, um, by people singing in harmonies. Um, just loved it dearly. So I uh, moved to New Mexico and 
found a singing teacher. I lived in a small town in New Mexico called Los Alamos, and it felt like a safe place that I could start to sing again. I didn't know anybody. It was far, far away from my past and started taking singing lessons and got better and better. And uh, I was at that time, I was managing um, Fuller Lodge, which is a historical um, lodge in Los Alamos. And that is the... Um, the arts council's event space and it was an art space. And uh, I thought, you know what, this is cool. I'm glad I'm part of all this, but I, I think I'd like to be a voice teacher. That way I can just be surrounded by singing all the time. And so I talked to my teacher and she said, absolutely, we'll get you going. And within a few weeks, um, she was mentoring me while I was teaching six high school students. So that's how I got started with the singing. So then I got to be surrounded by singing all the time. Singing teachers oftentimes sing in the lessons. Um, I learned that singing in choirs was easy for me and I often became the the section leader and so um, I was kind of in, in charge of, of all the other singers. That felt great and I learned a complete joy in singing in community with other people, especially in harmony. Just loved it dearly. Still couldn't face that performance anxiety. So if my choir director asked me to sing a solo, it was, um, I guess the word is pot shot. I didn't know if I would kill it or if it would kill me, you know? Um, if it would be successful or not, it was completely uh, unpredictable because of the performance anxiety. So that's why I had to get to the bottom of that because I had to sing. It was what I did the best and I uh, could be creative in my own time, but not in front of an audience. Mm. Okay. So I like how you really pointed out too, of you got yourself into the space to move mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. So this is what we do, everybody. So when okay. these, when we get these light bulb moments and these things that we want to do, then you immerse yourself in the space. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel so foreign. So it's not, um, so you're in it. So here, it. here you kind of moved up the ladder. So you got yourself um, into, you know, the church choir and you were still a leader there because you were managing like you mm -hmm. did before and you were so successful. That's right. So you were using all of that and then you're teaching voice lessons and you're kind of singing along and all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. So what got you to the point where you were just like, yeah, I'm not scared anymore. Oh, all right. Well, in, in the, I, I still believed at this time, what I'd been taught in college is that God loves classical singers the best. And um, the, the idea that, that there is a right way to do this. There's a right way to sing. And in, in academic circles at that time, not quite as much anymore, but um, it's classical singing or nothing. And, and I had no deep love of classical singing. It wasn't actually part of my, my creativity, part of my speech. But um, there was a singing competition that had an age deadline of 35. And I was 34. And I thought, I am never, I'm aging out of this. I am never going to be able to do this again if I don't do it now. This is, this is what I have trained for. This is, this is why I'm learning is to, to be a singer and they're shutting the door on me next year. This is it. Right. And I don't want to go to my grave, which I've now determined is approximately 108. That's what I'm shooting for. But I don't want to go to my grave with this massive regret that I never tried and just sold Amway and Avon for the rest of my life. You know, um, just that that fear of regret, fear of not having lived my best life for the life that I was meant to live. That's what got me to tackle the stage fright. 
You want to hear the details of how I tackled it? Oh, please, please. All right. <laughs> well, let's see. It started with, so this particular singing competition, you had to memorize 18 classical songs and opera arias. And uh, then they would, you would stand up in front of the judges uh, and sing whatever they chose, probably five or six of those songs. So I had to have an entire, 18 songs, that's like an hour and a half long recital. I had to have that all 100% ready to go. And uh, that meant doing a lot of performing. So I started going to nursing homes and um, performing my songs in front of uh, people who couldn't even hear me in some cases. <laughs> I remember in one of them, a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, my goodness, I hadn't expected to see such lovely shoes today. <laughs> oh you're welcome. You're so welcome. <laughs> oh so, so fairly, you know, a non-threatening environment for me to, to, to perform these songs. <laughs> Another one, um, I remember I went way long so that their lunch hour was starting while I was still singing. And so people were sitting around and getting their lunches. And my piano player was sitting fairly close to two men. And, and one guy said, well, at least she's got great legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll own that. Yes, I do. Thank you very much. But um, <laughs> so that was, I think it's called exposure therapy, you know, where you just keep doing it over and over so that the variables of how an audience is going to react or not being distracted, that kind of stuff starts to fade into the background. So you're not on hyper alert for what's going to happen next, right? So you can calm down about that. So the next thing I had to tackle was what is the core of this stage fright? Why do I even have it? Why is it a thing? I went to a hypnotherapist and there's lots of different kinds of hypnotherapists. Some work um, you know, in the medical field and they're, they're highly endorsed and some are on the opposite end of the spectrum and they work in um, spiritual practices or, or numerology or other things. I went to one of those. I went to a spiritual style hypnotherapist and within like three sessions, she had worked me through hypnotherapy all the way to the tiny little traumas in my youth that had set this up. And then I could see how they had spiraled and become worse and worse just in a negative feedback loop. And just by knowing that, oh, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. That really made a difference for me um, to be able to, when I felt the stage fright come up, go, mm -mm, stop right there. This is bullshit. Excuse my language. Mm-hmm. Another piece of the pie was that um, I had now um, moved to uh, the Seattle area, and my voice teacher was in a new voice teacher in New Jersey, was world class international voice teacher. Really knew his stuff. He had performers on stages all over the world, and he thought that I was worthy and that I should be heard by audiences. That was you know, okay, wow, somebody awesome thinks I'm good enough. Who am I to say that I'm not? Why am I sitting here doubting myself when Robert Edwin, my voice teacher, thinks I'm good enough? Okay, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing somebody else has that confidence in me. Somebody, somebody whose judgment I actually believe thinks that this is the right place to be in. So that, that fed my, my need for judgment in a positive way. But I'd say that the fourth and most important thing, um, which I alluded to at the beginning, is that I had a message or a story coming through me and I was just the channel. So I needed to get out of the way and let the song and the music do what it was supposed to do for the audience. And if I felt ego or if I felt presence 
in that moment, then I was not doing the music justice. It had to be about what was coming through me. Yeah, that was the biggest one. Huh. <laughs> There's like funny in there. I like that. I love the idea of expo putting yourself in spaces <laughs> yeah. and just exposing yourself in these non-threatening situations. Yeah. It's yeah. brilliant. I mean, it just... It's so brilliant. Like, yes, you're satisfying their need of needing some entertainment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was doing a service. Yeah, you're doing a service. Thank you. You're getting um, practice mm -hmm. and then a little comedy. If I never expected <laughs> such nice shoes. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> to finding your actual core, like what's going on. And yeah, that we're just channels. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you're gaining control, like you feel like you're more in the driver's seat. Yeah. And yeah. So what happened with this competition? Oh, I performed in the competition. And I uh, it was it was a big win for me personally, because I did it. I did not make it onto the finalist platform. Perfectly fine. And you know, if I had I'd been sus I'd been sus suspicious of it, because um, I really don't like singing classical music in foreign languages that are stories that I don't necessarily believe in. It, it is not my thing. And so um, it's fine with me that I did not nail the competition and go on. The big win was I did it. I did that. I did that. I put on the gown and I sang my five or six songs and I did well. Yeah. I think that's really what I want people to hear, everybody, is that it doesn't have to be for the reward supposedly at the end of what they're saying, mm -hmm. but it's the fact of doing it. Mm -hmm. And gosh, how much clarity you got, how much you did to work yourself up to that point. Yeah. It's freaking life changing. It is. And, and it turned out that that point was just a, a, a benchmark in what was to come. Right. And uh, I just needed to get to that or through those gates. And then on the other side, that's when I got to really uh, be the singer that I knew that I could be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So let's find out a little bit more about Nancy mm -hmm. for yourself you know, for your own pleasure, or it could be work related, but how do you incorporate more creativity into your own life? Mm. You know, you've, um, you've given me a lot of ideas uh, about that through your own work. Um, creativity in 100% of what I do, right? Um, in fact, I've started to resent activities that require me to be not creative. <laughs> <laughs> Oh really? God. I have to go color in the lines here. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think, uh, incorporating creativity in, in, um, my gardening, uh, incorporating creativity in how I, how I choose to mop or vacuum the floor this week. Um, you know, just even, even shaking it up, like I'm going to go on a bike ride. Um, do I want to know where I'm going ahead of time? No, let's just get creative and see where my bike takes me. That kind of um, freedom in, in decision-making, it feels luxurious. It feels like pampering. It feels so good for me um, just to, to be able to incorporate creativity in everything. Just, yes, I've just mo recently moved into um, a new house in February. And so that's been an amazing visual creativity opportunity and uh, getting to design everything on the walls and every piece of furniture just, just for fun. Like what makes me happy here? I love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you for bringing the enthusiasm and 
the excitement into that because I think we kind of, there could be the other side where people get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, I have a whole house to, <laughs> I, I need to like design. I need to figure out what color the walls are going to be and where I'm going to put this and where I'm going to put that. But, and is every moment perfect? No. But when you bring that energy to it predominantly and be like, Ooh, this is fun. Yeah. That's what we're shooting for because that's where, like you said, the spontaneity of the bike ride comes in and, um, not that's having to have one. control over everything. Right. Yeah. I, I love that you just brought in the word spontaneity because I think that and freedom are, are absolutely keys of creativity for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, um, so our daughter's in Thailand now mm. and, um, we were just texting this morning, which is her evening. And I said, Oh God, it's going to be like 97. It's going to be a hundred <laughs> degrees here and then 97. And uh -huh. she's like, Oh my God, what the hell? And then she's like, go to the beach on Saturday. It'll be nicer there. Huh. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. And she's like, mom, <laughs> because she asked me the other day, she's like, what are you doing? And I, I told her and she said, what are you doing for fun? And I said, well, and this is me asking these questions to everybody. And then it being put back to me, I'm like, well, I'm designing my summit. I'm designing, you know, these videos da, da, da. Oh. and she's yeah. like, mom, mm. what are you doing for fun? I'm like, mm. thank you. Thank you, sweetie. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> So she's like, get to the beach. I casted my vote. That's it. <laughs> Love it. I I spent uh, I spent last week in New York City, and one of the things that I needed to go to needed to got to I guess was um, a, a a high end social mixer, fancy stuff. Wear your best. And here I have been living in the West for a long time, where dressing up means your best blue jeans. And I was. <laughs> That is New York City where where you might wear a prom dress in the middle of the day because that's the current fashion, right? Yes. Oh, I, and, and for anybody who wasn't raised in the 80s, I'm not kidding. What I would have worn to prom, people are wearing for daily wear in New York now. <laughs> Anyhow, I might exaggerate there a little bit, but not a ton. And and so I thought, okay, I'm nervous about my outfit that I'm going to wear. And and so with my reframing of, of anxiety, stage fright, whatever, this is, this is a feeling I'm familiar with is I don't like that feeling. What's going on here? And what was going on there is that I'm, I, I was literally saying, I don't know the rules of what to wear in New York City for, uh, for a, a social. And I decided I am just going to be me. I'm going to dress New Mexico. And it may look kind of dumb in New York, but it's my creative expression and I get to do that. So I wore um, black leather boots and kind of a flared skirt with a poppy pattern on it, a red flared skirt with a black poppy pattern. So it had kind of a, a Western vibe to it. And then um, a, a tighter black top and a leather jacket over the top of that. And it was, it was truly, a, it, it would fly in Santa Fe, no problem, perfectly nice outfit. And I wore it to the party. I was clearly the only person dressed anything like that. And I saw a woman across the room who was, um, she had pink hair that was kind of flared out on the sides. She had um, glittery pink glasses. Um, her top was a halter top and it kind of had a fuzzy boa wrapped around it. And I thought, yes, that's my woman. 
Yes, I need to know her. And so I walked up to her and it turns out that she's a stylist um, and this is her style, but she doesn't make everybody else wear pink bolas. But I am so good. Her name's Tracy Jasky and I cannot wait to work with her as my stylist and she has such great energy. And I thought this is a woman who understands the courage of dressing creatively, owning it and looking fabulous doing it. Um, yeah, so inspiring to me. And I was then grateful that I embraced my own creativity with my own outfit and just took a chance and decided to put myself out there. Yeah. So how was, I love this story. So how was this received from your perception from others? You know, yeah. nobody's thinking about what you're wearing. <laughs> They're they, all thinking about themselves. They don't give a crap. You don't yeah. give a crap. I could have been wearing a, a dojo, you know, jujitsu outfit and it would have been like, oh, there's that woman. <laughs> Did anybody comment on your outfit? Nobody said a thing. Nope. Yep. yep. And and because I looked a little different, it 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 actually I so my guess is that, oh, she's not from here, might have been, you know, the only thought that popped into people's heads. So. I love it. I love it. This is so important for everybody to hear because it's so true. These stories that we create in our heads, mm -hmm. following the rules, what's expected, I don't know, causes so much stress. You took your training and was just like, I'm yeah. not going to let it scare me. And you went in as yourself. And if you went in as anything else, you would probably be, I know I would be like, fixing things and like looking mm -hmm. at myself and cause it wouldn't feel like it was me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Wearing and heels and like trying to concentrate on walking yeah. and making sure I'm not falling. <laughs> well, the other thing is if I'm trying, if, if I'm joining in the rules of the game, then I'm opening myself to judgment because then other people are like, Oh, who wore it best? You know, that dress didn't, doesn't look quite right on her or she shouldn't, you know, if I'm trying to play by their rules, then they have the right to judge me within those rules. If I'm doing my own rules, then there's no judgment allowed, really. No judgment allowed. Mm -hmm. So freaking powerful. Mm. And it's just making me think of a very quick story. So my parents, way back when in the 80s, where my dad was working in banking or insurance or something, mm. and they got invited to a formal and they were told it was a dress up. So my parents being the parents that they were <laughs> dressed up in some Halloween costume. So, <laughs> so my mom was like <laughs> nurse, you know, some kind of sarcastic thing. And my dad was like, see how he farts or something. <laughs> and they got to the space and they saw people dressed up in tuxes and gowns. And they were yeah. like, oh shit. Oh, okay. shit. <laughs> this, is, this is what they meant. So at least they had each other, you know? <laughs> so then they made a choice. Do we turn around and walk away or do we walk in? And they walked in. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> impressive. They did. Wow. What would you have done? Would you have walked in? I'm not sure. I don't know. I think it depends on the point of my life. Yeah. It depends on how much you have to lose by walking in. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that just made me think of but um, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and that was definitely a factor is that i'm you know i i don't know these people and i uh might not ever see them again and if they don't like me then that's their loss you know that was that was definitely part of this new york uh decision on what to wear it was like whatever who cares but uh, yeah if, if if it had been like you know what there's a million dollars on the line on this party tonight I probably would have, you know, gotten a stylist and dressed right. <laughs> yeah. But you met this amazing stylist. I did. 
I cannot wait to work with her. That's so exciting. You saw yeah. her from across the room and you were like, yes. <laughs> and the sweetest thing was she came up to me the next day and sat next to me on my chair, on my same chair. And she says, I've been waiting for you for so long. <laughs> what a sweet thing to hear. So it turns out she was waiting for me too. <laughs> <laughs> you see, and New York can seem like, New York can seem like um, an overwhelming space. I remember I saw some of your posts mm -hmm. as you were kind of like, oh, is there a much, lot of energy much. in this space? Yes. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Um, we lived there for eight years, but um, wow. but there's a lot of genuine kind of when you peel back the layers yes. and you get into situations. I met incredible people and you find they're just, I don't know, you, you, you kind of have to have your guard up because there's so much energy and people touching you all the time. Mm -hmm. Walking down the street, just crowded kind of places. like yeah. crowded. But you're right. And I, I fell in love with New York City last week and I'd, I'd heard other people talk about it. I was like, yeah, there's because every single person was a real person just trying to live their lives in that situation is pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, so before we move on to the last question, I have a question before that, because I've been asking people and I'd love to hear, do you have any kind of a morning routine? Oh, yeah. Really intense one. Yes. Oh, well, I do not use an alarm clock. Um, that's the luxury of being me, I guess. And um, when I wake up, I start with a cup of green tea. I have um, a teapot just 10 feet from my bed. And so I, I heat that up and make my green tea. Um, then I move into usually journaling at that time because I want to drink my tea while it's still hot. But <laughs> ideally, I would do meditation first. But the, so I've got I've got a conflict there. Because if I do 20 minutes of meditation, then my tea is cold afterward. But at any rate, this is this. These are the three things that happen in the morning is the green tea, journaling and meditation. And I do not leave my bedroom space without having done those three things. And then after that, my first discipline of the day is studying Spanish on Duolingo. And uh, then I can release myself from my bedchamber and go start my day. <laughs> wow. So it takes sometimes an hour and a half for all that to, to take place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you make sure that your day is scheduled in a way where you definitely have that hour and a half yeah. aside for you. Yeah, absolutely. No, nobody's going to get my attention before nine in the morning. And that's, that's just the way it is. Um, and, uh, the, I, I know that uh, exercise uh, advice is to exercise first thing in the morning to make sure that it happens. Well, that's fine. I'll exercise at any time of the day, and I prefer to exercise in the evening. So that one doesn't apply to me so much. But these things, this meditation, journaling, um, and studying Spanish, I really want those to happen every day. I really, those are core. And, and so I make sure they happen first thing, and it's a great way to launch the day. And, of course, the meditation and journaling help me launch the day with mindfulness and deliberation, you know, so I don't just jump in, ah, go to Facebook, go to LinkedIn, go to Twitter. Okay, check my emails now. React to everything. It takes me out of that reacting place. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've always admired people who don't have to use an alarm clock. Oh, I do have a wicked internal clock. I mean, it is precise. Do you have an internal clock that works well? No, no. <laughs> not for that. I have a strong intuition and things like that. But as far as oh. an internal clock, there is that voice like the other day, apparently when I had my headphones connected to my phone, which meant okay. that I couldn't hear my alarm clock go off. Ah. 
And yeah. I had an interview at 9.30 and it okay. was 8.50. Okay. And all of a sudden I woke up and I went, something. Ah! Yes, <laughs> something inside of you knew this has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. A trust great... the clock. Hollis, trust the clock. It was supposed to be a nine o'clock interview, which was gratefully the night before I moved to 9.30. Ah. So how everything worked. But yeah, apparently that internal <laughs> clock was saying ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so I, I test my internal clock like on a regular basis. Like if I, if I know that I've got 11 minutes till something happens, then I, I may set a timer um, for that. You know, like say I've got four minutes till the eggs boil, whatever, or that the eggs need to boil. I may set a timer, but I'm going to keep just slightly aware of those four minutes and try to guess. So I test myself on internal clock often and i think that has actually paid off it has yeah might have something to do with a musician too and, and being a, a performer in time because musicians perform in time you know like okay this song's three and a half minutes or they are performing for the next five minutes and then i take the stage and so and then of course the you know the timing of a song so maybe maybe timing's an extra discipline for musicians that has paid off yeah actually now that you say that it's yes because there is something within the timing i will find like for the tv show and for even with the podcast and things yeah an awareness you have this amount of time and often it just yeah you're pacing it perfectly that's where it goes so mm -hmm. when you put it in that context yes when you put it in the context of the morning waking up in the morning up, <laughs> no <laughs> Yeah. And actually my internal clock is brutal now. And so when I switch time zones, it just, oh, I can't, oh, it's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I can't even imagine when my daughter gets back from Thailand. Oh yeah. That's going to take some time to figure that out. But it's interesting because she's, it's 11 hours ahead of us. Okay. Uh, so she's getting, she's leaving at 11 in the morning, her time and getting back at 11.05 our time. So Whoa. it's kind of like no time went by. Yeah. <laughs> just five minutes. That's cool. That's really cool. And, th and that'll be pretty easy. She'll just be able to try to stay awake for the rest of the day and she'll, she'll snap in pretty quick. She'll figure it out. So yeah. there are many worse problems to have. So yes. Um, so, okay. I love that she's forcing you to be creative by going to, you know, requiring that you go to the beach and holding you accountable to being creative and having fun. That's cool. Well, thank you for, yeah, she's always, she's my mirror for sure. Mm. And she's not quiet. So <laughs> she's very talkative mirror. So <laughs> when we, when we speak our gratitude, um, before we'd go to sleep, we'd say two things you're grateful for. And she'd uh -huh. immediately say, can't be about work, mom. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh. I love what I do. She's yes. Like, about work. Oh. <laughs> Change it up. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you're right. <laughs> huh. Huh. <laughs> then I'd kind of sneak one in and be like, yeah, she's like, okay, fine. Yeah. And if you, if she's holding you accountable to that, then you know that, okay, I have to do something in today that I'm grateful for, that I'm going to be grateful for that's not related to work. You kind of <laughs> like, okay, I got to do something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. When you have that, but I mean, for everybody listening, it's when you have someone or people in your life that are holding you to your highest good for your best interest. They're mm. not doing it to be mean. They're not doing it to, even though sometimes it may come across mean, the, the intention is not there for that. It just might be a powerful statement coming from them to get you to think and yeah, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yes. Yes. Get you to think, look at things a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. 
So the last question, which kind of wraps it up and puts a nice little bow on it is, why do you think creativity is important? Yeah. Well, I could get very practical here. Um, I've just gotten done studying a series of, of books and articles about evolutionary psychology. And evolutionary psychology is the field of, of um, that, that most everything that is true about our psychology has an evolutionary benefit. Um, and uh, why we do what we do is because for all the millennia that humans have existed, um, these have been chosen as traits that would make a more successful to live and reproduce. Um, and so there's got to be a huge component of creativity in just surviving on this planet. When something comes at us that we've never seen before, that we don't know how to react to, the most creative person is going to come up with the most successful solutions. And I think that creativity is probably core to being successful humans. What was the question again? <laughs> I got lost in my answer. I really do believe this. <laughs> such a beautiful answer. Um, why do you think creativity is important? Yeah. Okay. So taking it from that big scope of, of creativity is important to being humans for successful um, reproduction and living. To me, why is creativity important to me? I don't know. It gives me endorphins. You know, going back to the science, it, it makes me happy. But I feel on a spiritual level, taking it away from the science into spirituality, that I have a purpose and a reason for living in this world, that there's a path that if I choose to walk it will be amazing. And if I do not embrace creativity and seeking out stuff that I haven't done before, get out of my comfort zone and follow this path that I've never walked on before, I will go back to having those regrets on my deathbed. And so creativity in every part of my career it shows me the way, or it allows the way to be shown to me to live into my fullest life. That right there is the reason why I think creative living is essential to being Nancy Boss. Whew. Yeah. I keep doing that throughout, but I just I'm like, <laughs> it's so deep. And I so appreciate the many levels that you shared it on. It's like, first, here's the science, and then here's the <laughs> spiritual, and then here's my version, the beauty of our brains and all these things that happen, they just, they happen. And we are just like thinking on our toes so often. Yeah. There's such beauty in that. And when we don't know what's going to happen, for me, speaking for myself, is feeling into that beauty of like going for your bike ride and not knowing which direction you're going in. That's where we want to be is as we make these decisions, as we come up with solutions, there isn't this anxiety and control tied to it. Control. Yeah. Freedom versus control. Um, you started at the, at, at the beginning, uh, about, um, boundaries about, you know, do musicians need to know that the boundaries, the rules have control over it. And uh, I think that's something that each person has to wrestle with, with their own personality type and their own um, uh, nurture versus nature, you know, uh, nature being your personality type, nurture being how you were raised and how much control you need. Uh, but uh, to uh, whenever you can choose freedom instead of control. <laughs> yeah. 
Choose freedom. Choose freedom. Creative yeah. freedom. <laughs> so before you tell people how to connect with you, um, I do want to ask you for a simplified answer because I titled this Exploring <laughs> How Singing Makes People Happier and Healthier. Oh, wow. Yeah, we didn't even get there. We didn't even get there. So why do you think it makes people that? Um, I do think from the physical standpoint that nothing brings in oxygen to the lungs and distributes it to the body as thoroughly as singing does. And so a singing, unless you're somebody who sings super short phrases like Willie Nelson, you're going to bring a lot of oxygen into your body. It's great. Um, you're also literally sending vibrations through your body that are coming from your own body and that has healing properties as well. Um, so, so this is all this physical healing that happens. And in singing, I, the parasympathetic nervous system is much deservedly getting a ton of attention right now. And uh, singing totally taps into your parasympathetic nervous system functioning at its best. So that's why. That's why singing physically makes people feel great. If they're also allowed to sing in community with other people in harmony together, holy cow, they're just... That's like a massage for the brain. Fabulous feeling. Um, if you have family members that are willing to just spontaneously sing with you in the house, that, it feels vulnerable and it's also just the best. Or deliberately going out to a community choir or karaoke night or whatever, singing with other people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say this, I've said this in other podcasts here, but... Um, my daughter and I sing all the time and we'll be in the car and we suck. And that's great. uh, It's we have, we blast the music and I miss not having her as a singing partner right now. So I do it myself, but um, we'll just be in the car. We'll blast and we'll just sing at the top of our lungs. And the few times we've had like my husband and son in the car, they're just like, Oh my God. No, they can't judge (laughs) like that. No, 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 no. They need to join you. (laughs) We're like, come on. And they're like, good. Thank you. Like, God, you're so uptight. (laughs) (laughs) Too vulnerable. Can't do it. Too vulnerable. And that's the word. So, okay. So, Nancy, tell people how they can connect with you, please. I would love for people to connect with me. My um, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, you'll find me under Nancy E. Boss. And Boss is three letters, B-O-S. My website, nancyboss.me. Find me there. Email me. Direct message me. And I would love to hear your stories about how singing has impacted your life. Doesn't she have a beautiful voice, everybody? Aww, <laughs> just, just listening to you because she does she does audiobooks. Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> so such a beautiful voice. Nancy, thank you so much for hanging out and chatting this hour and letting us get to know you better. Thank you for the opportunity, Hollis. It has been great to spend this hour with you. So much fun. So much fun. So everybody, thank you to all who joined us live. Thank you to those catching the replay. We know you could be doing anything with your hour and we so appreciate that you have spent it with us. This whole space is about inspiring each other, connection, and just sharing stories. I believe we've always needed it, but I think we need it now more than ever more than ever. So please like, follow, share, all of that good stuff so we can just empower each other and lift each other up to be the best humans that we can be. So on that note, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good evening wherever you are in this world, and we will talk again soon. So goodbye, everybody. Feeling inspired? 
let's just get rid of this, throw away this whole perfectionism thing, this whole concept that we have to know how to do everything. You know what? You don't. <laughs> let's just do things and try things and realize what we like and what we don't like. It's all part of the process. The self-awareness feels so good. You feel more connection to yourself, connection to others, and huh? be a happier, more joyful person. Just imagine that. So you are where you are in the process. So you can dip your toe in the water to try new things at a slower pace, or you can dive right in. Here at I Am Creative and Express Yourself Publishing, we meet you where you are. So there are so many ways to check us out. Explore our experiential kits. They have everything in them that you need to try new things. You don't have to buy anything else but this kit and just explore. There's Creative Shui, which is seven elements to join happiness. Through the Publishing House, Express Yourself Publishing, multi-author books, copy books, solo book opportunities. It is all about expression, all about it. And it's again, just trying these things and realizing what you're good at. Don't all of a sudden think that you only fit into one box because we don't, we are not made for boxes. <laughs> there is also my TV show, I Am Creative. Check it out. The links are all in the body of this podcast. You can just click the link and you know what? Don't say, oh, maybe I'll check it out tomorrow. Life's too short. Just click it, see what it's about. There is honestly no judgment. It's all about exploring the possibilities, expressing yourself, and expanding your thinking. I will give you the website, which is IamCreativePhilly.com. So IamCreativePhilly, P-H-I-L-L-Y.com. And just remember that you are an expressive being, so own it. I am looking forward to hearing your story, because we all have one. <laughs>